And welcome to another episode of the Tell Me More NFL show. This one, the first time we've rebranded and we brought in my new co-host, Bobby Gallenbo. How's it going, Bobby? It's going pretty well. It's it's a lot better now that you uh, pronounce my name right. I'm I'm I've very... never got it wrong. Everybody else on our old podcast oh. got it wrong. I, I got it right day one. So I, I'll point that out. I was always very impressed by that and I appreciate it. It's the small things in life that, that keep you going on these podcasts. I, I took a uh, semester of French and I got an A despite not learning anything. So uh, at least I figured, well, I guess I learned how to pronounce your name. So that's, that's all that matters. Hey, don't, don't feel bad. I took eight years of French and I didn't learn anything. <laughs> uh, I just took just enough to graduate from college, which they say, you know, whatever, however many years you're supposed to be proficient. You're not fluent. It's, it's two years at KU cause I tested out of one. And then I had to, I had to suffer through like French 300, and I figured out very quickly that with my very country strong accent and college professors, they laughed at my French accent. It was terrible, but it, I got through. You know, I I passed. I'm proficient in French. Did you now. tell them your last name's Gallenville, and they should uh, like just give you an A no matter what? Like you have the French name. Like oh, I I always do like automatic A. They'd be like, oh, Monsieur Gallenville. I'd just be like, I, I don't actually know any French. Please <laughs> please don't speak to me in French. Just let me get my passing grade, please. Well, uh, we're probably going to have a lot of uh, pardon our French coming up as we discuss the NFL draft. And, you know, we'll I'll do a little breakdown here so our audience knows exactly how we're going to run things. We're going to look at a full NFL perspective when we do these shows, but also there's no reason to hide our fan biases. Uh, obviously I am a chiefs Homer and right now Bobby is actually wearing the Patriots hat. So not hiding it at all. Uh, we're going to talk about both of those teams probably more often than the other teams, but I think both of us have a, uh, we're not one of those fans who only watches their team and doesn't really know what's happening with other squads. So we'll definitely bring in the full NFL scope uh, when we talk about these things. But starting off with the draft, uh, very interesting year. Uh, I think, you know, everybody knew there were going to be a lot of quarterbacks going very early. I don't think anybody expected the exact order that we ended up seeing uh, it go down. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, Bobby, I'll just let you jump in with uh, who do you think had the best draft? This was actually a little hard one because I was flip-flopping, and the team I picked, you know, it, it, I hate to root for them just because of who they are, but I really, really liked what the Giants did in the perspective with that they could have flip-flopped on Manning and taken Darnold at two, but they went Barkley. They said, we're going all in on Manning. We're going to help him out on this offense. They got him Barkley, the best player in the draft. Even if he's a running back, I think two's a little high. But if you're not going to take a quarterback, you better not take Bradley Chubb at number two. And then they got Will Hernandez in the second round. They're saying we're actually going to trust Eli. He's still going to get fourth place in that NFC East because he's somehow still the. F yeah, he's the fourth best quarterback. I'll put Alex Smith over Eli Manning. I, I mean, I, if, if he can repeat, which it's very hard to switch teams and to continue what you're doing. And then you also have the idea. Who knows how Alex Smith put together the type of year that he had last year. So expecting him to replicate that kind of leaves it up in the air, but you know, definitely at this point with how bad Eli has been, uh, it's hard to push him over really any quarterback at this point. 
Yeah, as I said, I'll take Alex Smith not losing me too many games over Eli Manning throwing 20-plus picks in a year. At least they got that. But overall, I was, I was really impressed by the Giants. I also really loved what the Ravens did because no matter what anyone will say, Joe Flacco's not elite. I've, I think I got famous online in some Ravens fan pages a few years back whenever they won the Super Bowl, and I got blocked on a, probably a dozen of them because I kept saying Joe Flacco's not elite. He had one good postseason. He got paid. Congratulations. You got your money. Now, welcome to six years of mediocrity. Wow. Mediocrity? Mediocrity. Whew. I will say, it. I have to clarify, it was an elite postseason run. So it's not like they're just saying, okay, we missed we mistook this like really good postseason yeah. for something better than it was. If Joe Flacco is the quarterback he was in that postseason, you have a top five quarterback for the foreseeable future. It was smoke and mirrors. It was luck. Whatever it was, he has not even put together a few games that resemble that entire stretch that he put together. But it was elite. It, was, it wasn't like people were imagining it. All of the positives of Joe Flacco, who's 6'5", and can just stand in the pocket, throw it deep, like he was clicking just throughout that entire postseason, and then from there, never saw it again. Not even flashes of it since then, which I don't think even Joe Flacco haters, I don't think imagined it would be as bad as it's been since that Super Bowl run. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I I honestly did. He's one of the few quarterbacks where I, you thought he'd be worse than he was. Like that he was he was mediocre yeah. before that run. So you thought. Once he got the Super Bowl, it's like, yep, down the tubes, worse than he ever was. Because there's once you pick a quarterback, you say, this is our guy. And when you invest that much money in him, you're not as able to get him as many great weapons. And we saw that with Flacco. After that Super Bowl, they weren't able to build around him because they had so much invested in him. And they already had so much invested in that defense. Once he lost any sort of weapons, he just completely tanked. He did have a great, amazing postseason that one year. I believe it was 12 touchdowns, zero interceptions, something in that area. But he wasn't even good in the regular season before that, really. So now That's fair, but Eli's got two Super Bowls doing the exact same thing. <laughs> that's I, I got to imagine you see Joe Flacco win. That's the thought process. Like You can't turn away because uh, similar Giants were in a similar thought process. They're like, look at what Eli's doing at this point. Maybe he's not really that guy who beat Tom Brady in 08. And then he gets another one. Sorry, I, I didn't mean uh. to focus on the Patriots' losses. But you you look at something like that, it's hard to turn away. It's not like I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying about Joe Flacco, but I don't think it's like a bad decision for them to say, okay, he's the guy no matter what. He won a Super Bowl. We have to see how it works. But, yes, they're definitely on the very end of that experiment and seeing that there's no payout, there's no dividends that made it worth it. And then getting Lamar Jackson I think works great because – you let Joe Flacco prove one more year of he's not good enough while you try to teach Lamar Jackson in practice, get him game ready, and then you send him out there, and he the perfect guy, I think with an extra year to figure out the NFL system, he just has so many attributes. I, I look at the rest of the quarterbacks picked, and he's probably the most exciting, yet he's the one who fell to the very end of the first round. So that's a great steal for the Ravens considering the situation that they're in. Yeah, I think I think Lamar Jackson was just a uh, a victim of his circumstances because he was basically the fifth best quarterback in this draft, but in any other draft he would have been number one, number two, and the Ravens got an absolute steal, and they got two other tight ends, and I think that's that's not Joe Flacco's tight ends, that's Lamar Jackson's tight ends because they need those safety valves for Lamar Jackson. 
I think they're slowly going to build this offense around him in a college-style offense. They have RG3, so if they do, I do think Joe Flacco will be cut or traded after this year, and they're going to go all in with Lamar Jackson. RG3 should be the backup because then if Lamar Jackson does get hurt, they just plug in RG3 to the same offense, pray that RG3's knees hold up. That's a long prayer. You better offer up something good to the football gods. You're going to need it for that, for that backup. But it, the Ravens just did really well in Ozzie Newsom's last draft. And two teams I really don't like to root for, they really impressed me on draft night. Uh, it's a good good pick, I think, for best draft. It's just so hard. Like, I, If you go like total improvement versus like execution... I think the Browns are up there for total improvement, getting guys that they need. The problem is I, I can't argue with anybody who looks at that one and four pick. You take Baker Mayfield, who otherwise, if they don't pick him one, I mean, maybe somebody else has fell in love with him. Maybe the reports about the Patriots loving him and they'd trade up. Somehow I don't believe that to be a realistic situation. But Baker Mayfield starts to fall down the board and they can get him elsewhere. Uh, number four, Denzel Ward getting a cornerback who is really fast, but isn't even a ball hawk and is not very tall. Like that's, I doesn't seem like the best pick at four. Like, yeah, you want to get a cornerback and you need somebody like that, but they could have got somebody who's not quite the same value, but just a little bit less trading back down the draft. It seemed like staying there was not a good decision, but with how much draft capital they had and how much they turned that into a bunch of prospects to beef up a team that, you know, was awful was, you know, before this year they were awful and they found a way they have a starter right now in Tyrod Taylor. So they don't even need Baker Mayfield to be that home run hit. When you look at how much they gained, it's probably the Browns, but I don't think they had a great draft in terms of making the right decisions and making the right moves, which I mean, it's splitting hairs, but that that's how I see it. It's like they gained a lot, but I think a different GM, like I, I don't know what John Dorsey's thinking because normally he's pretty good at making the right draft moves. Those didn't seem like John Dorsey picks, but all in all, they had so much draft capital they couldn't have they couldn't be anywhere below the top draft because they had the most opportunities to get good guys and to get guys to fit what John Dorsey's vision is for the turnaround for the Browns. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. But for me, the best way to sum up this draft was. All the bad to middle team tiers did well to pretty good, making sure that they actually got great talent. You know, the Chargers got James. I don't think they're going to be a Super Bowl contender, but they should be a very good AFC West contender. Like you said, the Browns got a lot of players. Hopefully they didn't just go full Browns on us and whiff on a quarterback again. I have nightmares of Johnny Manziel whenever I see Baker Mayfield playing in Cleveland. But to me, this was a draft where a lot of bad teams did well, but none of the good teams went over the edge. We saw the Saints make an absolutely stunning and awful move trading up for Marcus Davenport, giving up a first rounder. And the Packers should have been excited for that because you don't trade up to, I believe it was 14 to get a pass rushing defensive tackle. That's not going to help you. The Patriots... We'll get into that more later. I don't think they did anything to significantly improve their roster. The Eagles basically took another Zach Ertz and then just traded back to next year. They didn't have many holes, but once again, they didn't put themselves over the top. The Vikings, ah, man, the Vikings were just one of those teams that got absolutely shredded, and I think they panicked and went defense. I, I don't know. This was just one of those drafts where a lot of 
teams you expect, like John Dorsey made a lot of weird picks. Bill Belichick made a lot of weird picks. And no one really put themselves in a great position to separate themselves from anyone. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's always tough to figure out exactly whether, you know, that narrative can hold up because it's so hard to figure out, are these the right players? Who's actually a good player? And, you know, usually you have a pretty good idea in the first round and then everything after that, uh, unless you're living the life of scouting all of these players, you're not really going to know whether people are making great decisions. But you kind of see the potential upside. Are they making the right picks for the positions that they need? And it did seem like there were just so so many head scratchers uh, up and down the board. From It wasn't like a couple teams made a boneheaded decision. There were a lot of ones where the common draft fan is watching and they have no idea why these decisions are being made. Uh, you know, we'll get to that. You'll, you'll give us the little rundown for the Patriots. I think it was pretty similar with the Chiefs. I think a few of the decisions made sense. And then when you kind of look deep at it and you're like, wait, is this really what they needed and what they wanted? Is that the smart decision? And there was just a lot of bold decisions. Sometimes bold decisions can be the right decision. You can get a player that most people aren't aware of and that fits their system and they know what they're looking for and they find it when they're scouting the different players. And this year, it just seemed like on its face, not much made sense. And even the stuff we knew about the quarterbacks, and that's what we'll talk about now. I'm not sure how much the quarterback decisions made sense. And we'll start with obviously the top pick on the board. Originally, we were being told going into the draft, Browns loved Josh Allen. They fell in love with the arm and they ignored the statistics. And, you know, obviously the day of the draft, we have all of his old tweets coming up. I can't imagine that that had any impact, really. Uh, I don't even know how it comes out. Are, is that teams possibly taking his tweets and releasing them? Or is it just simply that's like the world we live in where different media outlets have found Josh Allen's tweets and they're waiting until the moment they know they will get peak clicks? Uh, I, I'm still not sure, but I also don't think it mattered that much for when he fell. I think his actual, just the fact that people were realizing, okay, he, yeah, he has a cannon for an arm, but he could easy, easily be the guy we just talked about. He could easily be a Joe Flacco, and they didn't want to take that pick. And the only thing I don't understand is how it wasn't Sam Darnold for number one because Baker Mayfield doesn't seem like a John Dorsey guy. John Dorsey is very much about getting guys who have the size, the speed, what have you. And Baker Mayfield, despite having the heart and despite having a great college career, just seems like a guy who has enough holes John Dorsey wouldn't make that pick. What, what do you think of the quarterbacks, and what do you think of Baker Mayfield getting selected number one by the Browns? Well, just touching on the Josh Allen thing first, I think it might just be a little bit of both because when if you leak something in journalism or whatever nowadays, you leak it for a purpose, whether it's that someone wants their player to fall a little bit or a news site wants the clicks. Whatever it was, it was for their benefit. I think it was just a sad move because if... I was getting a job, and some of the things I said when I was 13 came out. Nobody go Googling and looking well, back on Bobby's uh, well, Twitter history. I'm, do I, that. I'm too old. They didn't have Twitter back in 2008, I don't <laughs> think. Or, they had it in 09, but yeah, yeah I, I didn't use it back then either. Yeah, even I didn't use Facebook until I was almost out of high school. So sadly, you're not going to find too many great Bobby memes from 2008, but it is what it is. But for me... The most shocking thing for me was Baker Mayfield because I was, I'm a huge better. I like to bet on anything. 
And uh, one of my friends was texting me. He's like, some guy wants uh, Baker Mayfield to go number one. And this was drafting. I was like, that's easy money, dude. And he's like, well, Vegas has Baker Mayfield minus 500. I was like, what? I was like, okay, surely this is a scam. And I looked into it, and then I was just like, dude, no way Dorsey could pass up on Darnold. Even though as much as I hate USC quarterbacks, they bust left and right as soon as they come out. Mark Sanchez, my favorite moment in the NFL, the butt fumble. Ugh. You can't get better than USC quarterbacks. But Sam Darnold just fit the bill of the prototypical quarterback that you need for a franchise. And the rumors that I saw was that John Dorsey didn't believe that Sam Darnold could put this franchise on his back and carry them back to relevancy, but he thought Baker Mayfield could. I it's it's one of those tough things. I if you look at the quarterbacks he started to go with though, you know, you look at an Alex Smith, then you look at a Tyrod Taylor, and you could think of Baker Mayfield. It's like okay, we're getting that similar type of player who needs to run a more college style offense, but also. In Baker Mayfield, you get a guy who's more of a gunslinger than those uh, previous two I mentioned. If that's kind of the thought process, and then you're putting him in with Tyrod Taylor, and you figure, okay, Baker Mayfield, what are some of his biggest problems? Sometimes he takes risks he shouldn't take. So you have Tyrod Taylor, a guy who is very much about you know protecting the football, trying not to turn it over. His only problem is when he's running, he fumbles too much, but doesn't throw too many dumb interceptions. And... You have him work with him for a year and figure that out. And if you can take that part out of Baker Mayfield's game, get him to be a little bit more careful with the ball, all of a sudden you have a guy, you want to see him in a Russell Wilson mold. And I I can see the idea of picking Baker Mayfield. I can't see the idea of picking him at one. And especially, and this is kind of the idea that I have, is like people were, you know, they, they try to compare it to Russell Wilson and say, okay, but look how good he was. Well, I think part of the reason he was as good as he was is because he was picked in the third round. There's guys that when they are picked later than they believe they should be, that's the chip that drives them to get better, particularly guys who aren't those perfect prototype quarterbacks, those ones who have tangible problems. Like people thinking Russell Wilson couldn't make it. They're not idiots. There were a lot of reasons to believe he couldn't make it. He was a scrambling quarterback who was short and didn't actually throw well off a platform. He was a guy who threw pretty well when he was on the run. He could throw off his back foot because he has like a slingshot of an arm. I was actually mostly amazed when he got drafted that people weren't talking about how uh, you know much he had arm strength, and that was kind of like a you know one of the reasons he slid a little bit. But all those other issues, they weren't wrong about it, and they're not wrong about it when they say Baker Mayfield has it. And so when you have a guy who now gets to be number one, he's already going to walk in. Like, even with Tyrod Taylor there, you can't tell me Baker Mayfield doesn't start in a year. Like, the idea that this is the same process they had with Patrick Mahomes and KC sitting behind Alex Smith. He's the heir apparent. He's going to get the job. And when he knows that, that changes the way he grinds to prove himself. And Baker Mayfield's been a guy who, when he has to grind, when he has to show he's better than people believe, he has done an amazing job. When he went from walk-on at Texas Tech and then he goes and gets a starting spot at Oklahoma and he's out there to prove everybody wrong, and you saw he might be a guy who just has that natural personality. Maybe picked at one, that won't change the fact that he's going to go in knowing guys have slighted him. But it just feels like those type of guys, when they get picked later, and it doesn't have to be the third round like Russell Wilson, but even later in the first round, Browns could have moved back, got him there, and Baker Mayfield still has a similar chip on his shoulder that I think he needs 
to become an NFL-ready quarterback. Picking him in at one just seems like you take away the best parts about him. A guy who's too small to play, that everybody says he can't do it. Well, how do you go into a season having that chip when you were the number one pick in the NFL draft? Yeah, that's that's what worries me the most about Baker Mayfield. And I, this is when I wish that we had more more professional connections because I wish I understood Baker Mayfield as a person. Because when I look at him, he just looks like a punk to me. <laughs> like I don't know the guy. I obviously don't know the guy. But whenever I read anything, I was like, oh, this guy's such a punk. And then he went number one overall, and he's gonna get paid a lot of money. Now he's the savior in Cleveland, and I'm just so worried it's gonna all get to his head. He's gonna party too much. He's just gonna get lazy. Whatever it may be. I, I certainly hope I'm wrong on that one, and I don't want to judge him too hard, but just looking at him from afar, is like, this guy's such a punk. We've seen so many quarterbacks like this come into the league, think they're all that, and not understand what it takes to be an NFL quarterback. And I honestly think that's why Josh Rosen, I'll, I'll segue a little bit because this is actually a really good connector, Josh Rosen will do so well falling to 10 because I actually loved what he said. There's not He said there was nine mistakes ahead of me, and I think that's the right attitude you need to have a quarterback goes into a great situation as Arizona and it, especially if you're going to the NFL the quarterbacks are always going to be under the gun they're always going to be under media scrutiny and you want that guy who's going to have their chip on your shoulder like Baker Mayfield had in his college career I don't see Baker carrying that over now I I, see, I just see another guy who's going to see himself as the savior and that's the most ironic thing is if those Dorsey rumors are true that he didn't think Darn looks should be the savior and have that on his shoulders, but he thought Mayfield could. I think it's just it's gonna go to his head too much. And I'm I I want the Browns to be good so bad because it's just one of those Cinderella stories. But when they went Baker Mayfield one and they pl- passed up on Bradley Chubb at number four, I was like, oh, we're we're seeing the Browns being full Browns again. And it's it's even if they fail, this is gonna be so spe- spectacular to see, look back on in four years. No matter what, they're gonna give you great entertainment at least. Yeah, and I don't think they're even going to fail, but I don't think that has anything to do with Baker Mayfield. That's the the big benefit of Tyrod Taylor is it's a safety valve. It's like bare minimum, you're getting average quarterback play, and if you can put together the rest of the team, which we've seen John Dorsey do in, you know, in KC, then all of a sudden, at worst, you're a middling team, which you could make the argument that's a worse situation to be in, but it's a lot different than what the Browns have been in where they're consistently a 3-5 to five win team. You know, I, I think Dorsey will get them out of that window. If Baker Mayfield pans out, then you start getting into, okay, we're to the eight win range. And if we get the right pieces, we can get him into the playoffs and make a run. Uh, I, I think they're, I, I can't imagine John Dorsey just going away from so much of what worked. Although, like we said, these picks didn't look like the way John Dorsey has been drafting before as a GM. So maybe he does have a different mindset and it's always different. Uh, you know, one having Andy Reid there to coach up players, and as much as his you know two minute snafus uh have caused problems, he can coach like hell from the off season to the start of the season. He gets guys ready to be on the football field and to contribute, and we cannot even say the even close to the same thing about Hugh Jackson, which changes how you pick players and how you make that organization fit together. Uh, I think Baker Mayfield, uh, the other reason I think it's a weird pick for them is they brought in Todd Haley to be the quarterback's coach. And we've seen him be successful, but he's been successful, what, first time with, you know, uh, Big Ben, uh, or first time, I guess, was with Kurt Warner. But then he goes back and he reestablishes himself with Big Ben. 
that's not what Baker Mayfield is. The type of offense you're going to have to put together, we haven't seen Todd Haley do that. He's had the traditional just under center quarterback, a pro-style offense, and he's damn good at it, but we don't know what he's capable of doing trying to put together a more college-like system for Baker Mayfield. And, you know, sometimes we overestimate how bad a spread offensive quarterback can be under center, but Baker Mayfield can't even get under center. Like, it's the ugliest thing in the world. If you've seen the plays where he's actually taking a snap under center, he looks just like you picked up a random kid who's never played football and like, go, go grab that football from him. Uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. So it's not like these other guys where they kind of have to change their mindset of what they do when they take the, you know, the two, the three step drop, the five step drop. It's not just that he doesn't even know how to get himself under the center. That's a problem. And I don't know whether Todd Haley's the guy. I don't know whether Hugh Jackson as a coach is the guy to put together this team for the Browns. So as much as they might've made, you know, cumulatively a lot of good moves in this draft, that doesn't mean they can put it all together. They probably should have already fired Hugh Jackson, but you know <laughs> what, whatever uh, you did transition to Josh Rosen, which I think is a very interesting one. Cause I had a little bit different take on when he, you know, had that, you know, nine guys picked in front of me or mistake. Like I thought he's saying all the right words, but I'm not buying it anymore. Um, you know, it's like, it's like literally like he just talked to Aaron Rodgers and like wrote it down on a notepad and then came in and when he got interviewed decided to rattle it off. Uh, I think at least with Baker Mayfield, if he can't keep that chip, I you know, he might just be screwed because he has a lot of stuff. There's a lot to overcome when you're as short as he is and then, you know, make the comparisons of Russell Wilson all you want. He's not the same athlete that Russell Wilson is. He's going to have a lot more problems when he gets to the NFL and that chip on his shoulder is going to be very important. But that chip sh- seems real. When I hear Baker Mayfield talk, maybe it's because he's a punk, but sometimes being a punk can help you become a better football player. It's a irrational confidence that keeps pushing you to get better and better every day and to be the best. If he can do that, I, I think there's a lot that you know Baker Mayfield can accomplish. I think it's a boomer bust pick. Like I don't, I don't see Baker Mayfield being a quarterback five years from now who's sitting in like you know the 16th overall in QBR. He's either going to be, he's either going to shell out or he's going to suck and not be on the football field. Uh, Josh Rosen's a guy who I, I hear it, but I don't believe it. I, I When he says it, it just, it, it comes off fake. And I'm not one who was upset because he's, you know, saying a bunch of stuff that he's, he's, he's too smart for the NFL. Like that narrative to me sounds stupid. And I don't like it. But then when I hear these things and you want to look at what's, you know, what's their personality type going to be like and how's that going to translate to how they become a better player? When I heard that interview, that was the first time I heard Josh Rosen say it. I'm like, it just sounds like garbage. Like Aaron Rodgers got picked like 24th. Like he was a guy who was projected to possibly be a top three pick and almost fell out of the first round. You slid down to 10, man. Like that was a pre-planned thing. You were planning on possibly falling to like 18 and having that same speech. And then it would have made a little more sense. The the idea that he's been overlooked because he slid to 10 in a draft where five quarterbacks went in the first round. No, I, I'm not buying it. I, di- I didn't believe it when he said it. Some of that, a lot of that's a subjective feeling that I have. But I, I think on tape, he looks like a guy who could be really good. But if it's about the personality, I, I'm not buying it anymore. Like that, that interview actually threw me the opposite way. Like I get where it's the right words. I, I'm not in. See, I'll I'll always buy into a little bit of saltiness at the first at first, but in that division, 
You can chirp as much as you want. You can talk about how much you're overlooked. But if you lose six times to the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Niners, and you're the worst quarterback in the division, it doesn't matter if you're picked first or if you're picked 10th. So I want him to succeed mainly because in 20 years, I want to see the Rosen three right after the Brady six. I just love documentaries like that. <laughs> and this, especially just someone, this, the most ironic thing is they're saying Rosen's too smart, he's too millennial. Man, kids my age are eating Tide Pods. <laughs> There's nothing smart about I don't think kids your age are actually eating Tide Pods. Yeah, like, do little, you know a single kid who ate a Tide Pod? They're, they're younger than me. I'm a, I missed, I missed the, uh, the wild Tide Pod thing by like five years. I want to say, number one, those are Generation Z. That's different than Millennial. If oh, we're going to make these oh, like we, generational we, like we, declarative statements... We need to at least be accurate about it. Oh, did I mess up the generations by, you're one, not the by o- one year? You're not the only one. It's not by one year. It's by a few years. Uh, I think the the end Two. of ge- the end of millennials is ninety five. So all of the kids that are like seventeen or eighteen eating Tide Pods are clearly in Generation Z by like four or five years. Oh, oh my, my apologies. Then I I fr- I had a couple Tide. Sorry, pods I wrote on- a, I wrote a paper on this. Yeah. I didn't. I really did. I had a couple Tide Pods on the way here, man. <laughs> I had a snack. They it, get you it, juiced up yeah, for a podcast. Yeah, it, it got me fresh. But so, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it, the idea that it's this younger attitude. No, I, it's the idea that he's gonna keep saying things that become sound bites. If things become sound bites, that's a distraction. I get that idea, but then to simplify it to say, oh, it's because he's too smart. Shut up! Like that, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think he's a guy that when you look at what he's capable of, he might be the best passer of this group of five. And then it's like, has, is he as close to his ceiling as you, you know, more so than the other quarterbacks? If he's close to his ceiling, then that's still a problem. I think they see with a lot of the other guys, Josh Rosen's fully polished. Sam Darnold is a guy who has a great college career, or at least a short, you know, successful college career but he still has so many things he can work on that could turn him into one of those elite passers. He's still a guy who throws off his platform a little awkwardly, and but he's still a guy who on the run can make a throw, and he's got a... It's not a cannon, but it's an above-average arm strength. They look at that and they say, okay, if we fix his footwork, all of a sudden we just stole a actual top quarterback. Uh, for somebody like Josh Rosen, I think they're worried that he doesn't have that much ground to gain he's not going to get that much better that quickly but that also puts you in a position to possibly steal the quarterback spot going early and what we know about quarterbacks more important than having talent getting on the field to keep improving that talent do you think josh rosen can steal that quarterback job from the kneeless sam bradford uh the no i I love sam bradford memes but uh he's my idol Uh, he's scored what he's got on Cross the hundred million dollar threshold oh, he, on on contracts. He's got. I, I honestly think he. I think he's close to hundred sixty million now or something. Yeah, I don't know what like, the hell he signed this time, but it, it, all of got, it's just. I believe it was one year twenty million to start like three games now. But oh, if man. if if you're not starting by week six in that division when you're Sam Bradford, your quarterback ahead of you, I think there is something wrong. And I, I wish you had that quote in front of you because if a scout or a personnel director or a GM is saying, I'm worried because someone's too smart and he's a quarterback, then I think that's really just like a he thinks he's too smart. I think that's what people are maybe trying to say. But, you know, Rosen, if he can 
say the right things now. Draft day, it's fine to say whatever he wants to say. Now it's time to shut up, get in the film room, see what you can do. But if he keeps chirping throughout the preseason, if he keeps chirping throughout the regular season, he is absolutely just going to get beat up in that division. And he might be the most polished. I, I hate the word NFL ready for prospects because anyone can look good in college. Anyone can look good in high school. We've seen how many of these top quarterbacks, top players were zero-star recruits coming out of high school. It doesn't matter until you're professional and you need to put the work in. You need to study your film. You need to be precise. And if Frozen's too worried about talking to the media, it's not going to matter. And like I said, Josh Allen didn't really put up the statistics. It's great you can throw a 70-yard pass, but you're never going to be throwing a 70-yard pass in the NFL besides like three times all year. We we understand Sam Darnold turns it over way too much. We just talked about Baker Mayfield. And I, I honestly think Lamar Jackson, where he – ended up has a really great chance of being the best quarterback out of this draft because he goes into a franchise that has so much stability. They're obviously sold in on him. Ozzie Newsome on his way out deemed him the next quarterback up. He's got a good offense coming into it or a better offense than Joe Flacco at least has had in the past six years or so. Sorry, Joe. I actually not that sorry. But either way, if just I, 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 I want Rosen to be good just so I can see the sound clips. But as soon as he gets bad, I'm just going to tune out because I'm just like, you just talk and that's all you are. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he's a guy who, I think the the floor is high. I, I wouldn't say NFL ready. I think the floor is high. I don't think by the, like, if I was picking guys who are going to be out of the NFL in, you know, five years or six years, I could easily see all the other quarterbacks in this draft or in the first round of this draft flame out and be gone in five years. And I can see Josh Rosen, like, floor is, he's going to be a backup quarterback uh, for the next, like, 10 to 15 years. I don't know if it's because of the name Josh. I feel like Josh is a great backup quarterback name. Uh, maybe that's it. But he just seems like a guy who, at the very least, he knows what he's doing. And if he's so smart, if he's too smart for the NFL, guess what a great job for you is? Backup quarterback helping teach the, you know, help getting the uh, starting quarterback ready for the opposing defense, help getting the defense ready because you can quickly pick up the, the offenses of the opposing team and run them on the scout team. So there's a lot of reasons he could be a great backup quarterback. I see his floor very, like very high. It's not even NFL ready. I'm not sure if, you know, say Sam Bradford injured his knee, how could that ever happen? And they need to put Josh Rosen in. I, I don't think even then it's like, okay, this might be a rough road. I don't think – I agree with you. NFL ready is a misnomer. It's something people try to say – to sound like they've seen something different on tape than everybody else has seen. And most of the time, we have no freaking idea. We have no idea who's ready to go and who's not. Uh, but I will say he's a guy I don't see him. In five years, if he's not on an NFL roster, I'll be pretty surprised. While everybody else on the list, I, it's not that all of them won't be on a roster in five years, but I can easily see each one of them be some guy who can't even keep on a team. We find out they're not. Like Baker Mayfield, number one pick, could potentially be a – Johnny Manziel level flame out, and that's even worse because when when Johnny get picked was like fourteenth or something, he slid a little bit. Twentieth, uh, he was okay, the, Bra well. the Brady Quinn pick. I'm pretty okay, sure. So slid to twenty. That's a good time to have a flame out quarterback pick at number one. Uh, that's going to set the Browns back no matter what John Dorsey does elsewhere on the roster. Um, we went over a lot of uh, the best drafts, worst draft. Went over the QB picks. Talked about the Browns more often than I'd ever want to talk about the Browns. Now we're going to jump in and get to our breakdowns of uh, each of our teams. 
mine being the Chiefs, yours being the Patriots. Uh, we'll start off with the Chiefs real quick. And I, it was a tough draft for me to figure out what they were doing because they picked defense like they should. That defense was awful last year. Somehow, I mean, find me the guy who knew going into the season that Alex Smith would put up MVP caliber numbers and then they'd still struggle and still screw up. Like that that defense was so good every other year that they've had Andy Reid and Alex Smith and KC. And then this year it just completely fell off a cliff. So you go into this draft, you get defenders, but I don't know if they got the right defenders. It just like, like I said, who knows if these guys are going to pan out, but did they get the right position and they get the guys who project to be the right player. So you get a guy like Breland Sparks, who I, every, everybody who has said he projects along the line, uh, possibly as an edge rushing uh, outside linebacker, but even that they're not quite sure. He, he, he seems a lot like, what they were getting out of D Ford uh, when they first drafted him. Just a guy who has a ridiculous speed and can get around anybody. But if you have a smart tackle in front of him, they're not going to let him get through. And he doesn't have the secondary moves to figure out how to get past and get to the quarterback and cause disruption. Uh, that seems like a bold pick to go with as you're getting towards the end of D Ford. Tom Bahali's out the door. Justin Houston has not finished a single season healthy. Actually, I guess this last year, he was healthy the whole season, but they had to cut his rushes in half. They had to keep him in coverage way too often. I, I don't see how that's the smart pick there, but whenever you get an athlete like that and you get a guy to go into uh, you know, Bob Sutton's defense, like Bob Sutton needs great pass rushers. So they have to hope that first the speed's there, and then hopefully the defensive line coach can teach him the other things to be a good pick. Uh, what do you think of that pick? Round two, 14, Breland Sparks out of Ole Miss. I think this is a pick that surprised me because there are so many great cornerbacks in this draft, and you lose Marcus Peters, and I'd, I'd rather have a cornerback there because there how many high-ceiling linebacker-to-edge rushers have we seen the last four or five years that – Oh, he's got the speed. He's got the bend. He can do so much of this in college, and they just don't pan out because you can't transition that easily into an NFL system. Like you said, the tackles are smarter. The guards are smarter. It's easier to scheme against you if all you can do is run a 4-4, and you're just quick. It doesn't really matter. And this, I don't, I don't want to jump ahead of you, but just as a, as a, not a fan, but someone just watching outside for the Chiefs, I don't think that, for me, this draft mattered who they picked. Because they could have the best draft of these picks, but if Patrick Mahomes doesn't show up, this to me is a failed draft. Because they gave up a pick last year to move up to get Mahomes. They they passed up Deshaun Watson. So to me, even if Speaks, Nandi, O'Daniel, whoever it may be, are great players, if Mahomes doesn't show up, to me this is going to be a quote-unquote failed draft. Yeah. I think that's fair, but also Patrick Mahomes was going to have to show up anyways. And the tough thing is with how bad that defense was, like we said, Alex Smith played lights out and nobody saw that coming. That offense at, you know, obviously had a little lull in the middle of the season, but for most of the season was just humming and it didn't matter. That defense wasn't good enough. So when Patrick Mahomes comes in, you know, I think there's this idea, especially Chiefs fans have started to convince themselves like, oh, Alex Smith is what's keeping us back, and Patrick Mahomes will take us over the top. That may have been true every year before last year, but it wasn't true last year. The idea that Patrick Mahomes, 
even if he's just a incredibly great first year player, it's it's not going to matter. Like that offense was perfect and wasn't good enough. If you don't get those defensive picks to at least shore them up, you don't have to turn them back into a top five defense like they were, but get them to the middle of the road. Then that offense, you know, Patrick Mahomes throwing to Tyreek Hill, having Kareem Hunt out of the backfield, now adding Sammy Watkins so there's a secondary target. And, you know, if you can stop those two, Travis Kelsey will just murder a defense all day. All of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes' transition is easier, and he doesn't have to be lights out, and they're better. But if that defense isn't good, there's no way Patrick Mahomes is going to carry this team to be as good as – carry this offense to be as good as they were last year. So defense has to get better. They make defensive picks. That's what scares me, though. Like you said, cornerback, get rid of Marcus Peters. You need to get one early. They don't. Next pick, round three, pick 11, uh, Derek Nottie. Is that, is that, I'll never pronounce any name ever right. I wasn't watching the, the coverage live. Oh, so whatever I, it is out of Florida State, uh, he's on the other end of the spectrum from what I said with Breland Sparks. He's a guy who he's, he's also one dimensional, but in this case, it's he can stop the run. He's elite at stopping the run, something the Chiefs need dearly. The problem is if Breland Sparks doesn't work out as that other edge rusher, then all of a sudden, yeah, you've improved the run stop. You got some new linebackers in there that'll help you become a better run stopping team, you know, just as the NFL becomes just only passing. Great. You fixed it. You stopped that. But now you don't have those cornerbacks, and that means that the defensive line picks have to be that much better because if you're not getting the pressure on the quarterback, cornerbacks are out there, particularly in Bob Sutton's man coverage scheme. They're going to be back there longer. And as of right now, you don't have the guys to do it. And if you're picking, you know, just have a little bit of spoiler, you get to the later rounds and you pick up uh, Tremont Smith out of Central Arkansas, he's not going to, he's, he's, I don't even know. They, they say he's going to be a good slot guy, but you grabbed Fuller from the Redskins in the Alex Smith trade. I thought he was going to be the slot guy. So right now you have two cornerback spots that maybe Fuller can be the main cornerback. Maybe Amerson can be the second guy. And then now you're hoping, hoping a six round pick can step in to be the slot cornerback. And that's your solution. That makes it that much harder on those top defensive line picks that they made. They have to pan out. And as we know, defensive linemen, unless you're getting the elite of the elite, they take a while to teach them how to play. Like, I don't, those guys are ones that I think are good picks, but they're good picks from two years from now. So I think a lot of Chiefs fans do expect Patrick Mahomes to come in, to click immediately, and he needs a defense that's going to help just get them the ball back. They didn't get people that will help improve that defense. And now Patrick Mahomes, they're, they're going to criticize him because he has a subpar year, but it's going to be because that defense is awful and they're going to lose a lot of games. I don't think Chiefs fans wanted that to happen. That's what next year is. They're building for the year after. I think they, they expect this to be a five to seven win year. I was thinking before when they were, if they would have got a cornerback early and they would have met the needs with top picks, maybe you get them into the six to eight win range. Uh, if Patrick Mahomes happens to be this amazing quarterback, then all of a sudden you're back into the playoff picture. But I think they're perfectly expecting this to be the year that they fall back and we're getting the guys to make sure the year after we have the pieces in place for Patrick Mahomes. I'm a, I'm a little shocked you you admitted that, but I, it's it's a realistic option because the Broncos seem to finally have a decent enough quarterback in Case Keenum. We saw that defense carry Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler 
I could have played quarterback for that Super Bowl team for Denver, and they still would have won with that defense. San Diego hopefully finally pieces it together, but somehow they always find a way to start 0-4. They're the best worst team or the worst <laughs> best team. I don't know which order to put that in, but somehow they have all of the people that should be a good team, yet they find a way to underachieve every single year. They're the best 9-7 and team every single year, but somehow they're also the worst 9-7 and team every single year. And then you have the Raiders. They picked up Jordy Nelson, a little too old for my taste, but they still have an elite passing attack on paper. And like you said, they st- they got a lot of run stuffers this year, and they got, well, they got a run stuffer, rather. But congratulations, you're stopping the run in a division with Marshawn Lynch, who could barely run anymore. The Broncos got rid of C.J. Anderson for some reason, and Melvin Gordon, odds are he's going to get injured again. So you're not really going to have many elite running backs this year. In, within their own division, you want to stop the pass. That's what the NFL is nowadays. Everyone's going to be in the shotgun, especially in that division. They're going to be airing it out. And I, it honestly took me back that you admitted it because I was expecting you to say the Chiefs, you know, they're going to come back. Patrick Mahomes is going to light it up. So I'm, 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 I, a, I'm, he, a, little, I'm a little shook, to be honest. Because, he but easily I, could light it up. But, like, I mean, but just because of the people around him, I, I'm not taking that Denver game to mean anything. Even when it had starters in the game, that is a team that's already lost. They know their season's over. That's a lot different than facing a fresh Denver defense this year. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, they talk about how deep he can throw the football. He was, I think, two of four on deep passes in that game and threw two interceptions. He killed in like the short to middle range, and he was throwing bombs. As much as it looked cool, he was throwing off-platform, throwing cannons so that he could complete a 10-yard pass. It looks cool. It looks good as a clip. That doesn't tell me he's going to be good this year. And the reason that you project him high is because that offense has a ridiculous number of weapons. As long as they can keep that offensive line going, Tyreek Hill is just unstoppable in terms of his speed. And the only thing that they got close to stopping him was they basically doubled him up. They didn't let him get going down the field. Sammy Watkins stops that from happening, having him on the opposite side. Not to mention Travis Kelsey. And then I don't think Cream Hunt had a great year, but definitely in that the middle of the season when the Chiefs started having that losing streak and the offense kind of imploded, that was because they tried to give Cream Hunt the ball. And as it turns out, he was better when the field was stretched. When the field was stretched, he was so quick and he could make one guy miss and get going. Whenever they put an extra guy in the box, he just wasn't big enough, wasn't powerful enough to keep that offense moving, keep the chains going. So he's a guy who, if Tyreek Hill's out there and Patrick Mahomes is throwing it deep, defense has to you know, uh, keep that in check. That will give more room for Kareem Hunt, and that offense will look good. But what's the chance he can replicate what they did this last year? Like It was amazing how good the Chiefs were when they sh- nobody thought they would be, and nobody could expect Alex Smith to do that. Just simply thinking a young guy who doesn't have any experience can come in just because he has that arm, it's going to be hard for him to replicate what happened. And I think he's not going to have a bad year, but he has to have a great year if that defense doesn't improve immensely. So, I mean, like I said, I was thinking before this draft, maybe they could get the right guys to keep it where they're just right outside of the playoffs. But I think this might actually be, if Patrick Mahomes doesn't immediately click, then all of a sudden, and even if he does, you're not going to win a lot of games with that defense. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the go- I understand what you're saying, but I'm I'm almost the opposite way. I think Patrick Mahomes will click right away. 
uh, I can't show the air quotes I did because he's going to run a Madden-style offense. He's going to run the ball around. He's going to chuck it up, 70-yard bombs, whatever it may be for the first four games. Then defenses are going to get tape on him, and they're going to figure him out. And you can't run around and scramble every play in the NFL. You're going to have to take your five-step drop, scan the field, see who's open, take the 10-yard pass, don't press it, don't force it, 50 yards down the field or whatever it may be. So I think Patrick Mahomes may lull some fans into this false sense of security right away, almost in the way that Trevor Simeon did the Broncos a couple years back. He looked great for his first couple games. Then they got film on him, and they figured him out right away. And I I think that's what's going to happen next year to Patrick Mahomes. I, I do agree with you a little bit. I think they're just like an 8-8 eight and eight team. I can't see them winning only five games. In like the- I said, that's if Patrick Mahomes doesn't play fairly well for even a rookie. Like not, not the crazy expectations Chiefs fans have decided to hoist upon him, but just being a guy who it looks like it's working, but he's still putting it together. Oh, yeah. If he does that, then the win total starts to go up. But if he has a bad year, that defense is bad enough to be a five-win team. So I'm not saying that's their destiny. I'm just saying they didn't do anything to change that defensively. And I have no reason to just say, oh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is just going to make it work. It's just going to happen. I I have reason to believe Andy Reid will get the best out of him, but that doesn't mean that it's going to immediately work. Those things take time. Having the year under Alex Smith helps, but part of it's just being on the field and making mistakes and learning from them. And he hasn't had the opportunity to do that yet. If he gets out there, I, I see next year, the other thing is I don't expect them to be as upset when they start to be a losing team next year. Fans will be upset. I don't think the I think ownership and the GM, I think Brett Veach was completely aware, and that's why he made the selections he did in this draft. He sees guys that, okay, that might take an extra year to fit what we want them to do, but when it happens, we're going to have a defense that's right in line with when Patrick Mahomes is on the upswing. That's the plan. And it's always, you got to think about how they're projecting best-case scenario. And that's what I think. I don't even think best case scenario. I think Brett Veach is sitting there and has a plan for, oh, this next year we're going to be a playoff team, a Super Bowl contender. He's not thinking that way because if he was, he wouldn't have traded away Marcus Peters and then just replaced him with Fuller and then Tremont Smith in the sixth round. That That's my idea. I There's nothing that he's done uh, since the end of last season to make me think he has any plans of making the playoffs with this team. Yeah, I can understand but that, but I actually didn't I don't want to say I didn't mind the Marcus Peters trade, but I understood where they were coming from. And I don't I don't want to get out too far off on a tangent, but I think when you have Travis Kelsey's huge ego in the uh locker room, I think that's good enough for that team. We've seen his antics on the field and that when he's coming in his fifth year option, they didn't want to, they obviously didn't want to pay him. They got something for him at least. Fuller should be good enough, but yes, like you said, a quarterback in the sixth round isn't going to be enough to save the secondary. Eric Berry, no matter how great he's going to play, he can only cover so much of the field, and I think the secondary is just going to be a huge mess, and they just didn't address it in the draft at all. Yeah, I I don't understand the Marcus Peters trade at all because they did have an extra year to get value from him if it was something that was uh, irreconcilable. Now, the problem is the only thing that seemed to be the ego, it wasn't so much the ego. I, I don't know what happened when he ended up taking his socks off, going and leaving, taking himself out of the game before coming back without his socks on. But the rest of it, I, the only thing you can point to that makes sense is taking a knee and Clark Hunt 
not wanting that to be what his players did. That's the only thing that actually stands out because otherwise you pointed out Travis Kelsey. Are, are they taking count? And they're like, oh, we got two guys who are hotheads with big egos. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. No, they, they, they have guys and they have to evaluate. Okay, his ego comes with these type of outbursts. Is it worth it? It's not like Travis Kelsey stopped his garbage. He, <laughs> he was in full swing this year with his antics. Marcus Peters was also in full swing, but I don't think it was pick one. I, I, I think maybe the kneeling got to Clark Hunt and he decided, okay, with the antics and with you taking those protests and having that as a distraction, we want to get rid of you. I think that's a terrible decision. I think it makes no sense when you have a guy of Marcus Peters caliber and also a secondary that was awful and Marcus Peters was still amazing despite that. He still was a shutdown corner on that side. And when you go get Fuller and you can shut down the slot and then you just you just have to get one other guy, one cornerback to be on the opposite side of Marcus Peters to all of a sudden go from being a bad secondary to a really good secondary. And to do that on the cheap, still cheap now, still don't have to sign Marcus Peters yet. You can keep that defense as good as it is. And then if Patrick Mahomes is as good as people say he will be, all of a sudden you have a prolific offense, a prolific defense. I don't know. Is there something missing in the NFL to make it where you can make a Super Bowl run? Those are the things you need. They have them. And instead, it, it's like they handicap themselves. I, I don't understand the trade. I would much rather deal with two hotheads in the locker room than deal with a secondary that's garbage at this point. Maybe this is the, maybe it's the Patriots fan inside me because they're, there's no egos in New England. I'm even getting tired of Gronk. And when they're like, they're going to trade Gronk. I'm like, he's old. His contract's coming up. I'm tired of his antics. Sure, why not? It will obviously hurt, like, the trade for the Chiefs hurt. But the difference between Marcus Peters and Travis Kelsey for me, if we're going on on a little tangent, because... I mean, that's what this show's about. It's yeah, all about yeah. tangents. You said you said we were going to get into something. Now we're on Marcus Peters' character. They, they, <laughs> they might have... They might have said, we have Travis Kelsey under contract. He's got a lot of money. We can't get rid of him. His antics are enough. I don't think it had anything to do with the kneeling. I, I read a couple of things. Once again, this is what I wish we actually had like real sources. Supposedly, it was because Marcus Peters just was tired of Kansas City fans. Once again, is he going to like sit out an offseason? Is he going to like sit out training camp because he doesn't like the fans? Like... No, he's gonna wait out the contract. So then you have a you have a timeline where we need to trade him before his contract is up. But in this case, Chiefs still had him under contract and they still could keep his rights for three seasons for or two more years. That means you can wait it out and you don't have to give him up now, particularly in a situation where this defense is not ready to go without him. If you would have gone into this draft, got a couple guys that fit that mold, figured out how good they were, and then going into the next offseason, you're like, okay, let's figure out what we can get from Marcus Peters. Instead, they sold him for pennies. They left this defense in shambles. And now they have fans going into the season thinking that somehow they're going to replicate last year and may, maybe be better because Patrick Mahomes has an arm. Uh, it, it's, it's not a good situation to put yourself in unless ownership is aware hey, we don't plan on having a great season. We're making the moves to make sure that we're, we're viable the year after. That I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. I don't like it. I don't think it's the best plan. But unless you explain it to me that way, I don't. if you're telling me these moves they made in the draft were to get themselves in a playoff position next year, uh, no, that, that, those were stupid moves if that was your plan. All right, I'll, I'll, the, the best way I can compare this, so like try to – the NFL for me is 
they know infinitely more than we do, and something leaks inside the NFL leaks to everyone. And Marcus Peters had something going on that obviously we don't know about or we weren't told about, and the front office knew, and I have a feeling like everyone else in the NFL. So did the Rams make a bad trade to take Marcus Peters? I think they made a good trade because the Chiefs obviously decided whatever was wrong wasn't worth what we're getting from you on the field. And so you buy you buy someone super low, or maybe they just had no leverage in their trade because whatever they didn't like about Peters, someone knew. It's kind of like the Jimmy Garoppolo trade. You got a first-round pick for Brandon Cooks on one year, and you got Jimmy Garoppolo going to the 49ers for a second-round pick. It was because they had no leverage. Everyone knew they were Kraft was in love with Brady. They weren't going to get rid of Brady, and they certainly weren't going to drop $50 million total on the quarterbacks. So they had to give Jimmy Garoppolo away for free. I cried that night. <laughs> Not really, but it was just one of those things where you scratch your head like this. But Tom and, Brady's going to play till he's 45, yeah, that's, Bobby. That's not going to happen. This isn't Madden. I can't change his age. All of Tom Brady's stats say that he's playing in Madden. All of them. That, that's what it says. It, it's all fine and dandy. Age defeats everyone. He eats avocados. That's different. I don't think we've had a quarterback who's so committed they live off avocados and whatever weird I, smoothie drinks. That... I, know, I know plenty of girls from KU who live off Chipotle guacamole. Avocados <laughs> aren't the answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now since we're talking about the Patriots enough, we can transition to their draft. And, you know, we talked about it already a little bit, obviously. Uh, Isaiah Wynn being that offensive tackle. Um can he replace Nate Solder? Like, you, you look at a guy who, I mean, all the projections said he was going to become a guard. You were, Yeah, he played tackle in college, but only the final year he had to switch over because they had that need. But he's a shorter guy. Uh, as good as he is, he just fits better at guard. And now he's going to have to replace some guy who's a great offensive tackle. Uh, can that work? And will he be a guy who just immediately slides right in that spot? Is, is Bill Belichick magic that strong? I think the Skarnecki offensive line magic is that strong, but I think he should start out of a right tackle, see if that length is going to be an issue in the NFL. If it doesn't matter, you could slide him over the Brady's blind side. But to me, that was just a head-scratching pick because, like you said, he projects at a guard. I feel like they kind of reach for him a little bit because this is a team that doesn't draft for need. We've seen them years just trade back. They don't have a player they like on the board. Maybe this is just because he's an SEC player and all of a sudden Belichick loves those tough, versatile players. But in the NFL, if you're protecting the blind side, you have to fit a certain mold. I don't think Wynn fits that. But Belichick's one of those players. I'll always give him a year or two with the players he drafts before I turn on him. But this one was just a head-scratcher to me. I, I wish they would have just picked a wide receiver or just something to give Brady a weapon. You can kind of... Not a good, not a lot of good wide receivers this year though, so yeah. there wasn't much to to work with. This was a it, it was a very disappointing draft for me because you didn't really need a as much as you may think you need a left tackle in that system. I don't think you needed to reach for one at twenty three because Brady throws the ball in like point two seconds because the average New England pass travels about one tenth of a yard and Julian Edelman runs it for another fifteen or they just lob it up to Gronk in the middle. So like, we were talking about this before, and this was just one of those drafts that puzzled me because none. it seemed like they just reached for needs because they got win at 23, they got Sony Michelle at 31, and New England has never valued running backs. I mean, the last first-round running back was that 
absolute stud, Lawrence Maroney. Oh boy, yeah, I mean he 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 was amazing. If you remember that 2007 season where they had so many rushing yards in that offense, and then <laughs> yeah, I mean you look at the players that they've turned into stud running backs, even for like short term. You know what? Uh, Mike Gillisley last year came in and had like what, five or six touchdowns in the first, like, three weeks? Something stupid. It doesn't matter who they have. They make it work. I get that they, you know, have to move on from Deion Lewis and figure something out, but Sony Mitchell doesn't even fit that, like, mold. Like, he's not... They, they say he's versatile. It's like, I've seen him be a pass catcher out of the backfield. He's not that good. There's other guys. You can get free agent, uh, undrafted free agent guys who can fit that role and, you know, you bring in the, you know, just the issues with his knees where that could potentially be a problem down the road. And it just doesn't seem like a Bill Belichick pick. It seems very strange. Uh, I will say, though, going back to the Isaiah Wynn pick said, you know, why wouldn't you get him a wide receiver? So they got that pick <laughs> at 23, which was one pick before DJ Moore going to the Panthers. And then Calvin Ridley at 26 going to the Falcons. Uh once again, not a deep receiver class, but if your pick is to get a wide receiver there, which one of those two do you roll with? I want Kelvin Ridley because we know Belichick and Saban have a connection. Maybe maybe Belichick had a little bit of info that every other team doesn't have because he has that connection with Saban. Or Bill Belichick just doesn't understand how to develop high-class wide receivers. I mean, their best receiver right now is Dillian Edelman, a former quarterback in, I believe, the seventh round. And... It's, it's As a fan, I wanted to see them finally give Brady some weapons or whoever's going to starve for Brady in a couple years. It's just not Jimmy Garoppolo. No. <laughs> you know, it. a lot of people, you know, call me out on that. But I said, I remember Nick Lewis was like shocked because after that Falcon Super Bowl, I said, all right, cool. Great. Brady's going out on top. Now cut him. Give me Jimmy G. He's so handsome. He's so good on the field. He's Brady but slightly bigger and maybe with a better jawline. And it's, it's, this was the always, will always be a disappointing draft to me because it's the Jimmy Garoppolo draft. You could have had so much for Jimmy Garoppolo. You could have had Jimmy Garoppolo, and at the end, all you did was trade down in the second round. We got a lot of picks for last year. Actually, I was doing draft grades, which I don't even think we have the time to mess with it. And What do draft grades matter? We're not scouts. They, they don't mean much, but I, I was just penciled in C plus, but could shift a letter grade to the 2019 draft, which is basically <laughs> what happened. Uh, they were just, they, they have draft capital. They can make it work. And, you know, on a year where they basically said, okay, you, you have aging Brady. You got to get the right guys to go for that last run. This is the make or break draft. And Bill Belichick's like, mm, no, that's the funniest thing to me ever. It's like, oh, this is the make or break draft for the Patriots. They need this. And Belichick's like, bro, I'll see you in 2019, guys. Come on. And it, it was it was just one of those drafts where he Belichick seemed to throw his hands up in the air. It's like, we'll worry about this next year. And I think C-plus is right on the bat. I, I'd honestly give it a C because it kind of just shows, like, it seems to me like they just showed up. They're like, this is what we need, and they just picked those spots. They they showed up to the draft. Good job, guys. We'll, we'll see if Michelle's knees hold up, if Wynn's tall enough, but... If either one of those guys busts out, I think it's going to look really bad. Yeah, but then, you know, you'll have one of the later round picks. All of a sudden, Christian Sam will become a guy. Braxton Berrios will just become Julian Edelman. And I, if Danny Etling 
gets them a second round pick four years from now is Tom Brady decides he's still not retiring, then we can just stop evaluating Patriots drafts. It doesn't matter. They will always win. Uh, and that uh, I'll let you get in a final word, but we'll get towards the end of this podcast. Anything else you want to talk about? We want to talk about Duke Dawson a little bit. Yeah, Duke Dawson is a player that when they picked him, it was just one of those picks where it's late in the second round. You know, I I have no shame in admitting I don't know defensive players really well, and they are like Duke Dawson. I was like, looked at my friend, I was like, who is that? Like, tell me something. And he was from Florida. Supposedly the Patriots had eyes on him for a couple of years, but he to me he projects as just a a nickel corner, your number three guy, not very big, but he seems to be a little feisty. And in the NFL, that's what you need. But you don't have Malcolm Butler. You don't have Logan Ryan anymore. Stephon Gilmore is a, now seems to be a solid number one as soon as they figured it out. But I still think they're lacking a true number two. They're still lacking. So you don't think McCourty fits? Well, he's a, he's their safety. But hey, they've he's, moved him over, and they can yeah. easily have him go back to cornerback. And then you have, what, was it Cyrus Jones last year as the yeah. second-round pick? He didn't pan out, but you never know how long it takes somebody to figure it out. So at the very least, you have two guys that kind of fit that mold around that area. You know, a, a later second round pick that you know let him duke it out. Don't there was not meant to be a pun there with Dawson's <laughs> name, but it, it's. I think sometimes though we do just overreact too quickly. We just say, "Oh yeah, this failed." And I think you know, looking at it, we'll have to see where Cyrus Jones is this year. If he can fit as that third cornerback, uh, then all of a sudden, you know, the, these drafts picks look smarter. Duke Dawson the following year, can he put it together? Uh, I, I think Bill Belichick, he understands that it's all about numbers. That's why he trades back and he gets all these picks. Uh, you don't need Duke Dawson to necessarily work. Right now he's thinking, okay, uh, we got Gilmore, we got Cyrus Jones, we got Duke Dawson, we can move McCourty if we need to and get a different safety since, you know, apparently uh, we're so flush with safeties in this league, Eric Reed can't get a job. So uh, I, I think they, they see that they can make those moves and you know you throw Duke Dawson back there. It's not that Duke Dawson has to pan out. It's that one more guy has to pan out next to Gilmore and all of a sudden you're back in it. And once again, like they've made the Super Bowl with bad defenses. You know They, they know they're capable of doing that. And so throw that guy back there. I, I don't know why they had no other picks in the second or third rounds. You know, like usually the Patriots just get gems in that area and only pick one guy. I think that's the biggest surprise for me. I get trading back. I get getting picks next year. But to have so many guys that were in the fifth plus round, we'll see if they get them to pan out. But usually Bill Belichick is just getting you a first round draft pick grade out of a third round pick and just trade it out. Didn't didn't have anybody in the third round. And I, I, that's an excellent point. I, I was actually going to bring this up. It's worrisome how bad Belichick has done in the first couple of rounds in the past years. So since 2014, his first round picks were Dominique Easley. If you remember, he had uh, two knee surgeries coming out of college. Bust, defensive tackle. Malcolm Brown, a defensive tackle, didn't have his fifth-year option picked up. Cyrus Jones was a complete bust so far. Derek Rivers didn't play much last year. But then you look at what he did in the middle rounds. He got Jimmy Garoppolo in the second, Brian Stork, James White, Trey Flowers, Shaq Mason. These are all late-round picks. And like I said, if if one of these fifth-round picks or Braxton Berrios turns out to be a Hall of Fame slot receiver, I think the draft really is kind of a wash. But you, you need Wynn to be that guy. If he's a stud guard, it won't be that bad. If you put him on his blind side, he absolutely just gets crushed for a month. It's going to look really bad. And Mich- I'm 
even if Michelle is a great dual threat running back, you have that in James White. He's such a great pass catcher out of the backfield. I'd rather have James White catching a swing pass than a rookie running back. And New England doesn't run it that much. Even if they do, they have, I believe, I think I just counted like 35 running backs on the roster right now. And it's To me, it was just like, it was one of those drafts where I'm like Belichick, what, whoever you sold your soul to for this wisdom, just tell me so I can talk to him. I want to know. I know. I want to know what you know for just a little bit. And this was this was definitely one of those drafts where I was like, man, what what's going on? Like this was supposed to be the over the top draft where it's, they went all in, and Belichick was just like, no, I'll 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 develop these guys for two or three years, and we'll see what happens then. All right, so we're gonna have to get out of here soon. But I'll go one last question, put you on the spot. Do the Patriots make the Super Bowl this year? Do they make the Super Bowl? Do they make it in. I'm not going to win, lose, whatever. Do they make it to the Super Bowl? Do they, they make, win the AFC? They make it to the Super Bowl, and they absolutely get crushed by whoever plays the NFC because the NFC should have their own Super Bowl. That's how deep that conference is. All right, and that's it. That's the final word there from Bobby. I'm Mac Moore. That's all for the Tell Me More NFL show. Bye.